Welcome to the Community Caregivers Connected Podcast, where we talk about how to raise healthy kids. In this series, we'll tackle every topic from substance use to mental health and relationships. In these episodes, we'll hear from a group of professionals, parents, and youth. Questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokaneprevention.com. You're listening to the Community Caregivers Connected podcast. We're the Spokane County Prevention Team, sitting down with parents, professionals, youth, and others in Spokane to talk about how we can raise healthy kids and empower our community. This week, we have a dynamic group of individuals who will shed some light on the opioid epidemic in our country and in Spokane. Some of the topics we will be discussing today could be triggering or distressing. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to us at spokaneprevention at gmail.com. If you or someone close to you needs help for a substance use disorder, talk to your doctor or call SAMHSA's National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or go to SAMHSA's Behavioral Health Treatment Services locator online. For more information, you can also visit getthefactsrx.com to start the conversation. You too can make a difference in preventing opioid misuse. Join Jessica as she interviews her own cousin Tanya about her experience with opioids. Hi everybody, this is Jessica Deutsch with Talk to Healthy Choices Community Coalition um, with ESD 101 serving the Cheney and Airy Heights communities. And today, I'm super excited, it's my very first podcast, and I'm sitting here with my cousin Tanya. And um, we are just going to have a conversation today uh, about um, some things that Tanya has experienced in her life. And so welcome, Tanya, to the podcast. Thank you. And Tanya, go ahead and introduce us to you, who you are. Well, um, I am a wife, been married for almost 30 years, come August. We have two children, um, and then that are biological children, and we have two adopted children. Our biological children are married, and one of them has three of my adorable grandchildren. I love it. We have, um, we've been all over the place. We've moved around a lot, and we are finally back to the Pacific Northwest and working on an old home with a lot of work that needs done. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And um, just enjoying our family. We're just, it keeps growing. <laughs> I love it. It must be really great being a grandma. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, people used to tell me that, um, wait till you're a grandma. Your heart will just explode. And I kept saying, uh, that happens as a mom. You know, I love being a mom. And boy, the first grandson that was born, it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. That's it's amazing. A whole different thing, yeah. It's like I can't wait, but I can. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just want them to keep coming, so. Yeah. So Tanya recently now lives in Lind, Washington. And Tanya, do you have, in Lind, do you guys have a um, permanent take-back medication box where people can drop off? unused or unwanted medications? I was just kind of um, looking at that um, because I know that you do that in Cheney and we've stopped by to see you before and everything and that I'm aware of, no, we, we don't. Um, um, I definitely want to talk to the city and see 
if we do and then what steps we need to do to maybe do that because I thought it was amazing that you guys did that and Cheney and the people that came in and and dumped all their medications that they didn't need so yeah and do you feel like it's uh it's every family should have that option where they know where to go take unused and unwanted medications or at least have some way of locking up their medications I definitely do because in the past we always put it up higher like medications are always up high but I can tell you that little kids can get up high <laughs> even though you have them somewhere where you think they can't get to them um, and as far as dumping medication, that's always been a huge thing. You know, you hear people just put them down the toilet or whatever, and then you have other people say, oh, never put them down your toilet, you know, and you don't just want to throw away your bottles because that's dangerous. So definitely, I think all communities need some place um, to offer something for people to bring them in and get rid of them. Yeah. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your experience in the past with um, using medications or medications that your doctors prescribe to you. Okay, so um, this started a long time ago. Um, I used pain medications um, when I was 28. I was diagnosed with um, fibromyalgia. Prior to that, um, I had some other issues, but but didn't really have a lot of pain medications or anything. But with the fibromyalgia, I was always in pain. And so they would prescribe um, opioids, you know, different forms, different amounts and stuff like that. And um, fibromyalgia isn't something that just goes away. So the more pain you're in, the more prescriptions of that, you know, they increase it and increase it. And we moved around a lot. So then you're seeing different doctors and um, my husband was always working, so I was on my own. I went to the doctor's office, and when you're in a lot of pain and, you know, you're still trying to take care of the family and doing all of your stuff and working, you know, you just kind of go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always follow what they say, and so you take your prescriptions. And at first it wasn't that much. You know, it was just a little bit. And um, then as we moved and things um, went on in life, you know, I was in a, bad car accident, um, was it 14, 13, 14 years ago, and so I was hit by a drunk driver. So then I was already on some opioids, and so then the new doctor between that, because of what a mess I was in, then of course they change it, it increases, and, you know, and then you have that plus the fibromyalgia. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that kind of continued um, as we moved around, you know, the whole thing is then you have a new doctor, and then they don't always look at your history. Um, they look at your prescription bottle. The, oh, this is what you're taking. This is, you know, oh, is this working for you anymore? And so then they go from that, you know. And so it just kind of increased from there. Like I was always going to the doctor. I did all my visits. I took my prescriptions. Um, and then back to, an, uh, you know, another car accident. It's just been... Um, mm -hmm. Things like that where m most people would take a prescription for it. Um, but I was just usually um, following my, my provider's, um, what he gave me to take a prescription. And so um, it's just been, it had gone on for a long time. So how long were you on the opioids? Oh, goodness. So I would say from at least 28 steady till... Um, Let's see, it must have been 
five years ago. So, 46. <laughs> if that doesn't tell my age. <laughs> That's okay. You look beautiful. <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about what that was like when you finally decided that you weren't going to take your op- opioids anymore? Sure. So, um, when I was taking my medications, I never felt the need to take more. Um, I just was like I would be with my kids or anyone, you know, if it says every four hours. I mean, since I was in pain all the time, it wasn't like I knew I wasn't going, well, I'm not in pain, but I need to take it. It was, you're always in pain, so you take it as prescribed four to six hours or whatever. And so I did that constantly, um, always following that and then going to the, you know, my appointment to get my next one. And so I did that through the whole time, um, up until when we were in Arizona, um, I was just getting to the point where I was going to a doctor who seemed like he just kept increasing and increasing and, you know, and then I would come home and talk about it, but nobody was at the doctor's office with me. You know, so you're just your voice, and some doctors are great about it. Um, You know, you just never know, you know, it was another new doctor and stuff like that. And so they would change the kind of prescription, you know, the kind of opioid, and then change, it would just change back and forth. And um, the whole time I thought I was doing great, you know. I was homeschooling, you know, I had four kids, you know, my husband worked all the time, took care of the house. You know, you think you're functioning normal. You know, and I felt like I was functioning normal. Um, and then I, I met a doctor in um, Phoenix who works at um, a pain center. And so first appointment there, and this is after kind of questioning what was, finally questioning what was going on with my prescription. Like I just thought, this just seems to be so much medicine, you know. But it all seemed really normal because it was little bits at a time. And you have a doctor and a nurse saying, oh, no, you know, you poor girl, you're in so much pain, you know. So I went to um, Arizona Pain Center, and a great doctor, he just said, you know, he said, fibromyalgia, they're finding it doesn't, um, opioids can actually make that pain worse. No, yes, it's probably helping for what you've been going through from the car accidents, mm-hmm. but not your fibromyalgia. I, I think we need to get you off all this stuff. And it didn't, that didn't bother me at all. I'm like, sure. So what do we do? And so that right there was probably the hardest part of taking opioids was not taking them anymore. Um, we went through a period where the doctor was out for a few weeks while I was doing this. So he started it and then I missed a prescription getting called in that actually helps you. So the, the point here was to go off of them and that was really rough. Yeah, I bet. Can you describe, um, like what your body was feeling when you were going through that process? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of remember it. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, you know, you see TV shows, you hear stories, so I don't think it was that bad, but I think it depends on the kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I've always been a pretty strong person or whatever, and mentally like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what we're going to do. Um, so it t- I think it took three or four days totally, but didn't take anything. And I didn't even have that prescription that's supposed to help you go off of it better. So, um, anyway, so I just, I can kind of remember like when my husband needed me to do something on the computer or something, 
I was curled up in a ball on the floor next to the computer. Mm-hmm. And he would ask me a question, and I couldn't think straight. I just felt cold and like, yeah, I don't know, like some little bugs running through your body. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of what it was like for four days, you know. I was either in bed or, you know, my kids would come up and lay with me, which was great. But sometimes you just, it was, it was awkward, mm-hmm. you know. I wasn't in pain. I didn't feel like I was in pain at all. It was just withdrawals um, from it. And that was kind of shocking because you don't feel, like prior to that, I didn't feel like I had um, an addiction or anything like that. And I still don't call it an addiction for me mm-hmm. because I didn't need to ever, or I didn't ever feel like taking more than I needed. I just did what I was told. Yeah. So through that period of time, I was very blessed to have my oldest daughter. She um, really, she took care of the two younger ones breakfast, you know, everything for me for that four days. She just did everything. And so that helped me be able to get through that period a little bit better too. And honestly, after it was over, I felt so much better. And even my husband said, he goes, no, that could have been so much worse. Mm-hmm. So I can remember the feeling, you know, just cold and something, just attacking your body, just you feeling just so weird. But yeah, but we made it through. And you're exactly right. I've heard you hear all sorts of different stories Mm -hmm. on it. And I think it really does depend on the person. It probably depends on the type of opioid that they're on or how long they've been on it Mm -hmm. or the amount. Um, What would be advice that you would want to tell the community or other women um, or even men that feel like maybe they're their own advocate, like similar to like what you Mm -hmm. had been doing? What would you want to tell them? Well, I, I really think that anytime anyone goes anywhere, they should always have someone with them. I mean, just like our kids have us with them at appointments, I just feel like when, um, when you're being told something, it's always good for, for four ears instead of two, because what you don't pick up, the other person will, or you hear things differently. We all speak differently. We all hear differently. So I, I really would say when you're doing something as important as this, you really should have somebody with you. Most of the time, I mean, if somebody can't go, so it's not just you. I mean, it was just me for years and years and years, you know. So, and my family just went, oh, okay, okay. But, um, so I would say have somebody with you. But I would also say make sure you're checking with that prescription, with that amount, there's nothing wrong with going to another doctor and saying, hey, this is what I'm going through. Um, do you think this is correct or whatever? I mean, it's so worth it to get a second opinion. Um, and there was a point where I was questioning, which is why, finally questioning, which is why I moved on and went somewhere else and started getting better help. Um, the other thing I would say was my family was always very supportive. They are. They have always been. And... Um, when I thought I was doing great through the days, even though I was good through the days and I'm still doing all my motherly and wifely duties and everything um, afterwards, and it wasn't until afterwards, and even now, every now and then, something will come up that one of the kids will say something like, um, well, you know, sometimes you wouldn't make sense. Or, <laughs> um, 
you know, something like that. And um, even my husband would say, well, I'm not, you know, I know you did good going through it, that there's probably some points. And then, you know, we kind of talk about it and it brings it out and it just breaks my heart because they didn't come and say, hey, mom, or hey, honey, you're, you're not making sense. Or, um, you know, maybe we should look at this because they loved me and, you know, they thought, oh, mom's taking care of it like everything else. It's mm-hmm. all good. She knows what she's doing. She's listening to the doctor, but nobody came to me. And if they had, I would hope I would accept that gracefully. Um, if I hadn't, um, I would hope that anyone that came to their loved one that needed help, even if they yelled at them, told them to get away, anything, um, just know that it's better for you to say something to them because it will sit and they'll have to ponder it, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of the consequences of it, you know? So even if I was mad (laughs) for a few days or whatever, or, you know, my pride would get in the way thinking, I'm handling this, you know, um, it's not a big deal. I got it, you know, but if they had said something, maybe, you know, I would have thought about it, but I really went that whole time thinking, this is cool. I'm good, you know? Yeah. So between having an advocate and just being truthful with your loved ones, no matter the cost, um, that's, those are the, probably the biggest things. You know, and just support your loved ones no matter what, because none of us know what each other are going through or how we feel. And so I would say just, just grace. And that's a really great advice. And, um, that honest conversation, Mm -hmm. um, which is hard to do sometimes for a lot of people, but it can go a long ways. Um, you talked about, you have four kids. Mm-hmm. Um, have any of your kids been prescribed opioids ever? Um, my two youngest, no. Um, my older two, if they had, it was just because of like a dental thing or, and it was when they were older mm-hmm. or, um, you know, my oldest daughter went through a few things where she had to take something, but she honestly didn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, for the most part, we haven't faced that, but we were really open. I mean, my kids knew when I was taking prescriptions, they knew why I was taking prescriptions. I mean, we've always been open about everything and anything. So, um, if, and they haven't really talked about it, but I'm pretty sure in the back of their head, the older, the older kids probably know, Hmm, this feels funny. I don't, you know, I don't know if it comes back to. I remember mom, I remember mom, you know, taking these and not making sense that time or whatever. And they haven't said it's a lot. So I want to make that clear. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> but, um, so as far as that, it's only been, if there's been a medical thing, it's not long-term or anything like that. Yeah. Um, this is totally not one of the questions that I put on the list for you. However, I had been thinking about it the other day, knowing we were going to have this conversation and you need a, a hip replacement. Mm, yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your thought process or what are your feelings on that surgery? And pain medication. And pain medication. Um, well, actually, since I went off of everything, I have refused to take anything for any reason except for Tylenol or Aleve. Um, and even um, I've had a torn labrum for over a year in my left hip. Um, they found arthritis in there, 
and I think it was caused from a broken leg in third grade. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> so I've been in a lot of pain um, for the last year, but honestly, I know that I can get through it, and um, I just don't want to take anything. I don't feel like if I took something for a surgery or something, I'd have any issues because I, as far as I know, the way I feel, I didn't have an issue with them. I just took them as prescribed. Um, but in the back of my head, I know that there's certain things physically that my body works better, not having opioids in them. And, um, so when it comes down to it, I don't know that I have a choice because it's pretty big surgery mm-hmm. when I decide to do it. And maybe that's why I'm putting it off too. Um, so it'll have to be a big conversation, um, because even a little bit, I mean, if it helps get through it, but I guess it's just one of those things I have to call up a conversation with the doctor because yeah. it may not be a choice. But as far as anything else, um, I've just decided that I just will not take another one. I mean, I, I went through a lot. And it, not just the opioids, but, you know, two car accidents and all this other stuff. And I feel beat up and stuff. But I really feel like I get through my days better. I feel clearer. I feel my body feels better. I mean, I'm still in pain, but I just feel better all around, I think. Not taking any kind of prescriptions, just vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Tanya, I appreciate you so much taking time out of your day to talk with us. And I want to offer you the opportunity to say any last words that you want to get out there and let anybody know if you have anything. And if not, then we can wrap up our first podcast. Well, thanks for coming, Jess. And thanks for asking. And I know because we're family and because we're close and we've had little conversations, you know, I haven't shared everything, but you kind of knew that I went through some things, but that's family, you know, knowing that you can talk to somebody. So anyone that's having an issue, know there's someone for you to talk to. Um, if it's not the people closest to you, there, there is, you have a best friend, you will find someone that's understanding and, um, um, and it's not always just your pain, physical pain that you're going through. You can be depressed. You can be going through um, relationship problems. You can have problems in your own family with your siblings. I don't know what it is. Just a hard time in life. It's, this isn't the answer is to take more prescriptions or to get a prescription for it. There is other ways to go about this. And I would say make sure that you're finding the person that you can talk to and know that it's okay. It's a, if you're in pain, it's okay, but just make sure you have someone to go to. Um, it, it can be, it can be really rough, but, um, there's other things that cause these. And, um, I guess, I guess it's just one of those things where love yourself enough to ask for help and, and know that it's okay to ask for help. I love that. Love yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and um, we all love you, and I'm so happy that you made it through your adventure (laughs) (laughs) and that you had your family and your kids there to support you, and um, good luck with your hip surgery, and thank you. yeah, I love you. Thank you. Next, we sat down with Brandon Blyce, a teacher and coach at East Valley High School. 
Welcome back to the Community Caregivers Connected podcast. Uh, this is Kirsten Fuchs, and I'm the coalition coordinator for the East Valley Community Coalition. Um, today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with uh, Mr. Brandon Blyze, um, our ninth grade health teacher at East Valley High School. Um, and so we're going to ask him a few questions. Um, and yeah, let's get started. Um, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and why you're here? Yeah, my, so my name is Brandon Blyze, and I'm a health and uh, teacher here at East Valley High School, and I'm also a coach, parent, brother, and friend, and I have many people in my life that are dealing with opioid addictions at this point. Awesome. Uh, thank you. So uh, my first question is, why do you feel the need to talk about this? Uh, why do you? Why is it so important to you? So my first memory of this growing problem began 25 years ago when I was a 17-year-old swim coach. And one of my 12-year-old swimmers overdosed and died from a ketamine um, drug overdose. Um, and since then, I've lost many loved ones. I watched uh, many former athletes deal with opioid addictions from injuries and surgeries. And I continue to try to help people in my life that I care about deal with addictions on a daily basis. Um, I really appreciate you saying that, Brandon. Um, I think um, a lot of people stigmatize the idea of addiction um, and that it's meant for a specific group of people. But really, um, you're talking about athletes. You're talking about youth who sit in your classroom. You're talking about uh, young young people that you're coaching and uh, mentoring. Um, what is... I guess my second question is, uh, what is your current perception of opioids? Like, do you know about them, about being prescribed them? Um, do you have any concerns, ideas for advocating? Yeah, so the, the opioid addiction has been a global problem for many years now. According to current news and research, this opioid epidemic has seen a spike in the last year since the COVID pandemic. In 2020, it was the deadliest year of overdoses in Washington since 2010 according to the Washington Health Department. Uh, and there were over 1,600 overdose deaths in 2020, which is up from 1,250 deaths in 2019. In February of 2021, the lawmakers of the State Public Safety Committee voted to approve the Pathways to Recovery Act, which aimed to address the opioid crisis by decriminalizing the possession of controlled substances and expand recovery services. The problem was this bill never made it to the House for a vote. Um, but the goal was to reach people with opioid addictions before they get hooked on harder drugs and get caught up in the criminal justice system. Once in jail, these individuals are becoming even more addicted to opioids because of the availability of these drugs behind bars. The scary reality right now is that dealers are making counterfeit pills that have been laced with the deadly dose of fentanyl, which can now be found on the streets and in our schools. Current numbers show that one in six pills are laced with fentanyl, and just last week, a 15-year-old student had an accidental overdose in Coeur d'Alene, which was the third incident since last fall. It's really terrible what happened um, in Coeur d'Alene, but I am a little glad that you bring that up because it's going back to this recurring theme that we keep talking about, how uh, opioid addiction can happen to anyone, and it often happens accidentally and unintentionally and I think we've been a little preoccupied rightly so with uh, the pandemic for the last year and I think some of the 
the the things um, like prescription drugs and opioids and fentanyl have kind of fallen to the back burner when it comes to uh, priorities right now. And I think we've been so worried about our youth's mental health that we haven't even thought about uh, what that might be doing to their substance use um, and to to youth and their ability to cope with all of this this mess right now. Um, and I guess lastly, uh, what can we do as a community, do you think, to help reduce uh, prescription drug abuse? So I think there are a few things that we as a community can do to help the opioid crisis. First, we need to contact our local government officials and have them hold uh, the pharmaceutical companies and doctors that do not regulate the distribution of these drugs accountable financially for the opioid epidemic. As a parent, I talk to my own kids about the dangers of prescription drugs and that these prescriptions are individual to that person, just like an inhaler for my son to help him with his asthma. When we watch the news as a family, we try to point out the facts about substance abuse, just like uh, this week or last week we heard about the 15-year-old freshman at Lake City High School in Coeur d'Alene that had his, an accidental overdose. This is still under investigation, but it appears that this, it was a prescription drug laced with fentanyl that caused his death. I also remind my kids that many families are dealing with a family history of addiction and that it is easier for some people to get hooked on drugs than others. This can also include caffeine, tobacco, alcohol, and a variety of other drugs. As a health teacher and educator, we are presenting students with awareness about dangers of substance abuse with the Too Good for Drugs weekly curriculum in our ninth grade health classes and the continued support of the Spokane Youth Coalition which supports the Take Back program to collect unused prescription drugs as well as a variety of other events. I also believe that the one main step in our road to recovery is providing and expanding our recovery services because our current system doesn't work. I hope all of you stay safe. In conclusion, always remember to hug your loved ones around you every day. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Brandon. Do you have anything else you'd like to add or share um, before we wrap up? No, at this time, I think I'm good. But uh, like I said, hug those cool ones closest around you. Thank you. Brandon, we just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. Uh, this topic can be really emotional, and we appreciate your um, vulnerability and sharing with us um, some of the things that you're tackling as a teacher, a coach, and a parent. And I'm really sure that a lot of other people um, are feeling these same things and are experiencing a lot of these same things. So I really hope that they take uh, your message to heart. And um, yeah, again, a big thank you for joining us. Um, and we're so glad that we were able to have you on. Tune in with us next month as we explore the topic of mental health. The Community Caregivers Connected podcast is made possible with funding through the Washington State Healthcare Authority, drug-free community grant funds from the CDC, and new ESD 101. Questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokaneprevention.com.